This is the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. What defines your identity? You answer this question all the time, whether you know it or not. It can come from your parents, your spouse, your children, your career, or just about anything in life. God created you to be his child, though, and everything else should flow from that. It's difficult, though, to allow that reality to define our identity. Chris's story is his journey from finding identity in what others expected of him to finding his identity in Christ alone. So, Chris, tell me a little bit about your story of coming to faith and how, tell me how you met Jesus. Well, I feel like I've always known Jesus because I was born in a Christian family and, uh, you know, grew up in the church. So I feel like meeting Jesus was never a thing. It's kind of like meeting your parents. At least, you know, I was that exposed to it. So I don't have, and sometimes I can become envious, but I don't have one of those stories of early on of recognizing my sin and, and coming to Jesus as like this big revolutionary thing. So I grew up in the church. I did get saved at a very young age. I do remember saying the sinner's prayer at least many times. I, I do remember getting baptized, and I do remember being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit at a very young age. But as my story goes on, I sort of backslid in, in high school and kind of walked away from God. It wasn't that I ever stopped believing in Him. I had had too many experiences to have that be a thing. I know some some people stop believing in him. And I was really angry. I got really angry and bitter at God. I think like most teenagers do at some point, you go through the typical teenage stuff. And we were living in Springfield, Missouri at the time because my dad was finishing up Bible college. And I was just very angry and, and very bitter. And a series of events through skipping school and some other rebellious activities with me and my, uh, my brother um, led to us leaving Springfield and moving back home to my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. And there in Memphis, I got exposed to a group of people, a youth group and a youth pastor that really took an interest in me. And it felt really weird, to be honest. You know, it, it was a little creepy at first uh, because like these people would just like try to come and hang out with you. And like my youth pastor was like, hey, I'm going for a run in the park across the street. You want to let like, go with me? And I'm just like, okay, this is weird because I did the youth group that I had in Springfield, even though it was it was good, it wasn't like that. You know, it was just a completely different level of of community going on. Um anyway, so started hanging out with some of these people every once in a while. I remember one time though, my mom, it was a Saturday night, and these people, man, you talk about some crazy youth. These crazy teenagers would get together on Saturday night for like an hour or two every Saturday. And sometimes the youth pastor would even be there <laughs> for whatever reason or prior engagements. And these people would just show up, and then they would just seek God, man, in prayer. And it was incredible. So I remember my mom drug me and my brother there <laughs> to one of these prayer meetings. So that's all kinds of awkward for a whole lot of reasons. One, because your mother's there, <laughs> you know, in this group of teenagers. And then two, you're being drugged there, and everybody clearly knows it. Okay, I mean, it wasn't a secret that me and my brother weren't living on the up and up, as it were. You know, we were quite rebellious and had a little bit of a chip on our shoulders from from uh, events and things that that had been going on. Um, and so it was at a, one of these retreats, one of these summer retreats that we went to, where 
the dam burst, and I ended up rededicating my life back to Christ. And in some ways, I wish I could say that was when I met Christ, but it wasn't. I, like I said, I'd grown up with him, but I had been walking away from him for so long, and it had gotten to a point in my life where I felt that I actually did have to make a decision of whether or not I was going to part company with him entirely. I mean, it had gotten that bad, at least in my, in my mind and in my heart. And that scared me a little bit. And so I recognized at least hanging out with these people and, and having their influence and, and sitting under my youth pastor's uh, care and, and hearing him preach and, and call for salvation every week that I really did need to do something. And so at this retreat that I had gone to, purely just because my dad was actually a volunteer at and I wanted to go do some like tubing on the lake and hang out with my friends. The Lord got a hold of me, man, in just sort of a, a living room cabin environment, and the dam just burst. And I don't really know how to explain it. And, and I don't even remember the moment all that well, but I remember the moments that came afterwards because we had sort of a, an organized prayer worship walk around this like little campground area. And when I had walked probably like the little half mile stretch and we'd stopped at different points and, and heard different youth sponsors sort of give a message and a call and there's times of worship in, in each ones. I remember that little half mile. By the time I was done, I was a changed person. And I actually, so then my dad was there at the end actually. And um, he wasn't necessarily part of the the event other than just sort of like a chaperone at that point. But I remember since it was my dad and and he was there, you know, I just embraced him and we had a, just a wonderful moment of of tears and apology. And uh, yeah, so that's how I remember like I said, it wasn't when I first came to faith, but it sort of is my story when I, when I think about that first off, is, is that's me coming to faith. <laughs> Another reason is, is because I think there is, even for young children who get saved at an early age, even though that totally, quote, counts, it's not discounted, I do think there's at least one distinct moment, and I think we have these throughout our entire lives, but there's at least another distinct moment that happens when you're become an adult or a young teenager that set like you have the volitional will to really buy into the message again right um and i think either way i would have had that that experience and um if i hadn't fallen away is what i'm what i mean to say by that and so again i so i, I that's sort of where i would put my salvation experience at yeah i think god does a lot of this work continually through our lives like God is sovereign, and one of the things that I've come to really admire about the way God does things is He never wastes an opportunity. And so it, it's, it would be easy to look at your story and say, my story with Jesus started at that retreat. But really, it's, it sounds like God was kind of leading you and guiding you all the way through from the very beginning all the way up in, until that point. So what did your story look like after that moment at that retreat? Was it a continual uphill climb after that, or was it a roller coaster? Was it a downhill spiral? What did it look like? Well, that's a good question, because there was an overwhelming sense of freedom that I experienced because of that, that weekend. And actually, <laughs> now that I think about it, I think it parallels another event um, when I was younger. And because I remember the day I got baptized when I was younger very well, and I remember distinctly thinking, 
this is kind of ironic, that after I came out of that water, I'm perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I have arrived. <laughs> I've been baptized, man. <laughs> and so, and I remember being so ecstatic and happy about it that like on the way to the park, on the way out to the car in the parking lot, I was doing something. Anyway, I ended up getting a spanking <laughs> that evening. <laughs> and I remember distinctly thinking like, what happened? Like, I thought I was perfect now. Like, this isn't supposed to be happening. And that's a little similar to what happened after this retreat because um, old habits die hard. And I had just gone through like a five-year, it wasn't all completely downhill, but it's, it's the way it feels like looking back at it, right? It's just sort of like this, this downhill slide where um, I thought I was doing pretty good like early on um, in junior high or whatever. And then by the time I had gotten into uh, to high school, man, something, something had gone wrong. And so I left this retreat feeling very free and recognizing what had happened, but everything was hard. It felt so incredibly painful to actually try to live a correct life. And I felt like an, a whole new level of, of rebellion, at least in my heart of like, I re- I want to do these things because I mean, I've, I've given my life back to to God, but is it really supposed to be this hard to like stop cussing and stop being a little pervert all the time. That's my edited version. I don't know how to say it any other way. Um, you know, so it was, a, it was a really big struggle for a few months there until another we had, so that was our retreat, our summer retreat. And then we had a summer camp at the end of, uh, at the end of the year. And so went to, went down to Florida all best church camps should do beach camps like we did because that was awesome. So I, the way I describe the summer is at the beginning of the summer, God got a hold of me and I re- rededicated my life. At the end of the summer, though, he refilled me with the spirit. And for me, it, was, it wasn't until that moment happened that I had an entirely new take on life, at least in the way that I walked with, with Christ. Because rededicating my life, it was sort of I mean, it was definitely a change. There was huge freedom and in, in, in everything, and I knew I had been given that new identity. But man, I just couldn't walk in it for whatever reason. And I just felt like I was kind of going back into the old, the old life, despite how hard I tried. But after having that experience with him and him baptizing me in the Holy Spirit again, I had—it was just—it was new power. I don't know how any other way to describe it. I know this is getting real Pentecostal real fast here, but— from that moment on, I had a restored intimacy with God like I'd never had previously. And I'd had, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'd had moments and, and encounters with the, with the Lord that way. So I felt at least I was able to begin to walk out the Christian life that, he had, that he'd called me into. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced in the coming years, like as you went into adulthood and uh, into your marriage with uh, living out the the Christian life? I think struggling with identity of who I was supposed to be. I have always felt called into the ministry since I was very young. Um, it, I, it's also why some of the weight of backsliding fell so hard upon my heart. It's because I knew I wasn't just walking away from God, but I was also walking away from a created purpose. But after getting married and starting Bible college, 
the Lord's call on my life started to become more complicated, let's say. It wasn't as clear, right? I had this idea of what a minister looked like, a missionary in particular, right? Uh, Going to the Amazon jungles and discovering a tribe that has never seen another person outside of their little community and witnessing to them and seeing them saved. That's what a missionary is, and that's what I have to be. Further and further into Bible college and, you know, as these things develop in in your marriage, I started realizing this isn't going to be the call for me. Like, that's just not where God has me. Getting through Bible college was tough for a a bunch of reasons. There's just obviously the the typical ones. Um, And then he called me to go to seminary, which is something I never thought I would do. You know, I've always been okay at school, but I just had no desire for any other degree than, than a Bible degree. And I wanted to leave Springfield. So I'm back in Springfield, and I wanted to leave it. And God's telling me to stay here. So that was tough as well. So through the course of, of seminary, wrestling with this idea of what a minister looks like and who am I, and I still think I'm struggling with in, in, in some respects, of there's the idea of a minister... There's an expectation that we hold of them, right? We put that up in, in our minds. Um, this is actually part of why I ended up backsliding in, in my teen years is because I don't like expectations of other people. <laughs> I don't like them forced upon me because it sort of feels like I've been put on a pedestal and then I have to perform in a certain way. Otherwise, I'm letting them down, and I don't like to do that. So... Yeah, struggling with my identity was a very was a very difficult thing and and trying to wrestle with what is it that God is calling me to do in this whole grand thing. Because I the further I went into studies and the further I got into seminary, I realized, man, maybe my calling isn't necessarily to do the going, especially overseas. I, I realized that the jungle thing was out, but I still have a desire, even now, to go overseas and be a missionary in some capacity. But maybe that's not necessarily what God has for me right now, and I have to learn to be content with that. One of the scenes that always comes to my mind, though, when I think about this is that scene from Armageddon when Billy Bob Thornton is talking to uh, Bruce Willis, and he, he says, I've always wanted to go up there and be amongst the stars. That's where I feel like I have, you know, that's where I belong. And that's what my feeling as a missionary has always been, is I want to go. I want to be up there, man. But Billy Bob realized, his character realized that somebody's got to stay in man mission control. Because if they don't do their job at mission control, then nobody can go up there. And it's not that either one of those positions is more important than the other. They both need each other. You've got to have people that are willing to go and, and be amongst the stars to do all the things that they do, right? That's the pur- purpose of missionaries. But there's also a different purpose for people that stay behind or resource missionaries in a completely different way. And at least for the time being, I think that's where God has me in my life now. And like I said, it it still can become a struggle at times, although I have learned to, to embrace it, my identity of this is who God's called me to be, and if other people don't like it, then that's really their issue. It's not my issue. Before I was making it my issue, I've got to try to live up to their expectations in some sort of way. Um, but now, learning and, and becoming, beginning to accept my identity as rooted in Christ first and foremost, I can, I can re- lean and relax on that and say, that's okay, you can, you can think that, and 
there may be legitimate or not legitimate reasons why you, why you think that, but it has nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with them. I like what you said about uh, resourcing missionaries and ministers. Really, that's one of the reasons we started Daily Growth Discipleship, is we want to help other people. We want to serve other people and help them become better disciples and follow the call that God has on their lives. And it, one of the one of the things that really got us moving in Daily Growth Discipleship was the Daily Growth Journal. Can you tell me a little bit about the story of how the Daily Growth Journal came about? Yeah. So I've wanted to journal my entire life. Uh, <laughs> kind of a mix between, I know that journaling can provide a lot of really good benefits, and then also all of the great awesome people in history have kept journals. And if I'm going to be an awesome person in history, then I better get started. (laughs) So, (laughs) but this is the attitude. I know it sounds funny, but this is the attitude I approach journaling with, which raises the bar, by the way, to ridiculous standards. And so I would try to sit down to journal every blue moon and sort of like fear would come over me and I would have like one of two thoughts most of the time at the same time, which is, my goodness, there's a lot of white space. I don't have the gold that, you know, Benjamin Franklin does or Leonardo da Vinci. My journal's not going to look like him. I shouldn't try, number one. And then uh, number two, I just don't know what to say. Like, I, you know, I can't put out gold, but I just, I have nothing to say. I mean, do you just start, right? Like, what, a dear diary, you know, you sort of <laughs> you default to, like, the movies, and I'm not a dear diary person, Um yeah, because I don't keep a diary. I keep a journal, right? <laughs> it's manly. <laughs> it must have a leather cover. <laughs> That's right. It must have. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I came across some of these journals, though, that had like little journal prompts in them. And I think this is stupid, at least when I think about it myself, because it's like, oh, you could just go get some prompts and then, you know, write about those in your blank journal. But that doesn't work for me still, because it, it seems like an extra step. So I saw some of these journals and I was like, I've got to get one of these because that's awesome. It's just like, it takes like five minutes to do some of these because there's like three or four or five different questions in there. And um, so, but I really wanted a Christian version of that journal because although like it's, it's good to ask certain things of like, what do you expect for the day or like a daily affirmation? Who am I? Um, I, I really wanted it to be focused and pointed at Christ, right? Um, how can I use a journal to better deepen my life with him. So that was my initial thought of, okay, I, I, I want to create a journal like this for me just so that I can do the same thing but do it Christianly. So I, I wrote up, like, I, I did create, like, a journal template, and I printed out a bunch of pages, and, you know, I, I've got all those early just loose, loose leaf uh, sheets going back. And then I sort of realized, though, during the research, and Josh was a, a big part of that, I was always bouncing questions off of him, and, you know, it's like, what about this one and that one? And I kind of narrowed it down to, like, six different questions and format that I, I liked. So that was sort of how the Daily Growth Journal came about. I, I got it self-published on uh, CreateSpace, and so now I had my, my own little version of it that, that, I could, that I could use. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for free over at dailygrowthdiscipleship.com, or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Then come back tomorrow and check out the next chapter in our conversation, where I talk about silence as a cure for perfectionism. Perfectionism.